Thank you for the opportunity to come before you again, understanding that yours is only good. Your way is the best way, and we thank you for that way, the way of Jesus. Thank you that he made the way for us. There is only one way to the Father, to heaven, that is through Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you that we're aware of this, we know it, and we endeavor to follow it in a greater way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about the fact that you can die another day. Die another day. Amen. You don't have to die the first time death tries to come on you, but you can die another day. Amen. So we'll talk about people in the Bible who made that decision. That's a decision that you make. Amen. You decide how you want to live your life. The Bible says choose life that both you and your seed will live. So the choice that you make as an individual, as a parent, as an adult, flows down unto your seed. When you choose life and you choose to live righteously for God, then that power transfers on to your children. Now, God's not going to keep you alive and kill your kids. So once you make that choice and you live every day in that choice to live, when you choose to live, I'm not talking about live it up. We gave that up a long time ago, right? You're going to live it holy. Amen. And so when you choose to live for God, that choice brings a blessing of the same life onto your seed. So be careful what you choose. You just choose to keep on living. You choose to keep doing the right thing. You choose to stay here and stay engaged in the things of God as long as God will allow you. And as long as you're free to make that choice, you choose to live. And your seed will receive of that blessing as well. So we need to talk a little bit about death so that you'll understand where death came from. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you get a description here, and it describes death as an enemy. And you need to know that death is your enemy because God created man to live forever. Adam was created. And Eve created to live forever, and God put seed within them, reproducing fruit after its own kind. So uh, all succeeding generations were created. God's intent is for man to live forever, and he never, choo- he never changes his mind about his decisions. His decisions are righteous. You know, we have to change our minds because we can be wrong. God can never be wrong. And so that's why he doesn't change his mind. The only man ever born to die was Jesus. But he was also born to live again. You got me? So he was even born to live eternally. Death was only a temporary stopping place for him that he might manifest himself as the redeemer and the savior of mankind. So death is always a temporary thing. You have to know that. When we fear death, we tend to not keep that in perspective. It's, it's a, a temporary thing. When, when God told the man in the garden, he said, when you eat of that tree, you will surely die. That word surely means surely, barely, verily, verily, 
Shona, that's what I'm talking about. All those terms refer to a covenant issue. That means that there is a contract and a covenant saying you'll die and you're going to die. Huh? When the Bible says by covenant you shall die, you're going to die. You got me? And so God told them you will surely die. By covenant you you will die not because I just woke up one day and say I'm going to kill you. But there was a covenant in force that you broke. And so in full knowledge, when you break that covenant, death ensues. So you'll surely die. You'll die because of a covenant I have with you. But God's covenant includes mercy. Huh? That's the cat that gets us all out of trouble. Amen? And so because God's covenant includes mercy, his mercy lives forever. His anger is only for a while. Not like people. Some people go to bed mad, wake up mad, mad in the middle of the day, mad in the middle of the night. You know, they just need to quit. But he says his his anger is kindled. You know, he has like flares of anger. But then he settles back into his mind of mercy and his heart of compassion. And he will bring mercy to us. That's why death is temporary. Because mercy is everlasting. See, God was merciful before death was even came into the picture. And so when he says that you will surely die, that, that death really referred to a separation from the spirit of God, from the spirit of eternal life. And then God, through his mercy side of his covenant, creates a plan to bring man back to eternal life again. So he refuses to let death have the final say in anything. That's why many times people who fear death really don't have an understanding of who God is, what its salvation is, and how great a merciful God we have. But there are people we'll we'll see in the Bible today who understood the mercy side of God, and that's what allowed them to die another day. Instead of today, they're going to die another day. Amen? And you can do that whenever you want to. Doctors come in there and, you know, you let yourself get worried about a lump somewhere. Now, you know, some people just lumpy. And me, myself, I can go fishing any day of the week. I used to be quite neurotic about the physical, you know, when I didn't know the Lord. Now, I can go fishing. I can find you 15 lumps at one time if I just set my mind to it. You understand what I'm saying? And so if you get yourself all worked up about a lump and the doctors say, well, we have to do a biopsy. No, they tell you it's suspicious. Uh Your lumps is a suspect and a perpetrator. I said, before it was just a lump, now it's a perpetrator and a suspect and they want to arrest it and I got to go to jail with my lump. You know, your mind just go crazy with this stuff. So they find a suspicious lump. You know, and then they sweat you. Biopsy. Well, how come you can't get it done? Like, oh, no, we have to send it out to the lab and it has to be examined. And and all this time you sweating and all this kind of stuff. And and then in the meantime, though, the devil has convinced you that you're going to die. 
And I'm telling you, you can die another day. You can tell them I'm not dying today. I'm just real sorry. I'm not going to die today. I'm choosing life today so that me and everybody around me can live. Huh? Put people through that trouble of going to the funeral home and picking out caskets and, you know, all this stuff and weeping and cooking and food don't taste good. And, you know, I mean, come on now. How many of you remember the wonderful food at a funeral? You don't remember that stuff. You remember it on a happy occasion. That food, you just get it down because you know if you don't, you just might not eat again. You understand what I'm saying? You don't need that. So you can make the decision to die another time. You just won't do it today. You can die another day. Amen? So because we were created to live forever, God's mercy errs on the side of life, if you could say it errs at all. So there's a, 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 a large bias in God toward life. So if you catch him any time of day, he's going to be predisposed to extend your life, to let you live. Because God lives forever, he created us to live forever. So we are empowered with what is commonly referred to as the will to live. Now, where do you think that came from? Even after we sin, which we know the, the sting of sin is death. You know what I'm saying? It, we just know once you live a life as a sinner, you for, begin to fear death because you feel that that's going to be the final answer for you. Everybody knows in them the wages of sin is death. You don't have to you don't have to quote that scripture to sinners. They know the you know that's why they want to talk about God. They don't want Him to know where they live, because they know it ain't gonna be good news when He shows up. Huh? That's why it's so hard to get people to really hear the gospel sometimes. Good news, and you know you should be dead for what you've done in your life. You know you just have that that sense about you. And so, but even after we have an understanding of that, still in all of us, there's this desire to live anyway. Even though we know we deserve death, we still want to live. And that's because we have that touch from God inside of us that says, you should live forever. You shouldn't really die. Huh? There's something in all people that tells them, you know what, this death, that, that that ain't right. I don't like it. It don't sound right. It's it's hard on people. It's depressing. You don't, you miss people, all that. No, we don't like that. And so God put it in you, and we refer to it as the will to live. There's a desire within all of us to live and not die. And so God makes it possible for us to follow up on that desire, that we can live and we can choose life. We have the will to live until Satan is able to steal it through death. That will to live can be chipped away at, chipped away at, and chipped away at until we finally give in to it. But death is something we give in to. It's not something you really choose. It's something that gets thrust upon you. See, God put it there as a temporary separation so that we would know what it's like to be without God. It's horrible to be without God. You have no hope. You have nothing. And so once you understand 
how how uh how sad life is without god you start to desire righteousness you start to long for god you start to hunger after that and so somebody comes along and tells you how to get god and you latch on to that and so you have eternal life but the devil still comes after us doesn't he even though we know by his stripes we were healed am healed is healed and are healed we still will look at symptoms as though they have some credibility, some power, some strength. You got me? We know this, but still we are tempted to to form our opinions based on these natural considerations and natural circumstances. Most people don't understand there's a place where you can live in God pain-free, sickness-free, Anger-free, upset-free, worry-free, depression-free, all free of all of that stuff. You just got to find it. Huh? Now, a lot of people, Christians, will say it doesn't exist. You know, the unbelieving believers. Huh? Go to church every Sunday, but we don't believe that, Mama. No, we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't believe. You, you got me? They build a whole denomination on unbelief. Because they don't. They don't preach that at my church. Unbelieving believers. But see, once you step into faith, then you begin to feed that aspect of your spirit man, and he begins to renew your soul, and your soul becomes alive. See, that's what you want. He died to save your soul. And so your soul will begin to be convinced that God is real. He'll begin able uh, to latch on to the things of healing for himself in spite of symptoms, in spite of feelings, in spite of everything. He'll be able to latch on to these things. And this is what the devil hates. He hates it when you're bold enough to get in your word for yourself and let yourself get convinced that God's word is true when it comes to healing and all of those things. And so you can make the decision not to die. Brother Copeland said that he was invited by this minister. This gentleman uh, had a, a group of churches in the island somewhere, and he said that he'd pray about all his invitations, couldn't take all of them. But for some reason, he kept this one out, and God told him to go down there and, and help this gentleman out. This man uh, was up close to 80 or was in his 80s. And he said, well, Brother Copeland, I brought you here because I'm getting uh, – I'm too old now, and I'm sick, I'm, you know, and I don't think I'm going to recover from this one. So I want you to help the men, uh, other pastors in my group here. I have a group of pastors. They go from one place to the next and so forth. I want them to be prepared for when I die because I'm not going to live anymore. I think this I will not recover from this sickness. So Brother Copeland said that he, he did what the gentleman asked him. He said, and then at the end of the day, he and this pastor would sit down. The pastor would say, well, tell me how it's going. Tell me how it's going. And he would sit there and they would share what the, the other men of God were doing and how they were progressing. And, and they would talk for hours about the things of God. And Brother Copeland said after about four days, the pastor looked at him and said, you know, I think I'm going to live and not die. He said, I really think your work is done here because I think I will recover. Huh? Huh? 
See, he decided to die another day. He had decided on his own he wasn't going to get any berries and die. I think I'll, I'll put this one off. I'll die another day. Amen? Because that word had so built up his spirit. Huh? I'm telling you, Christians, we waste so much time talking about things that will not profit and avail us. So much time talking about nonsense. If we could spend that time building each other up in the Lord, building each other up in the word, sharing the word, sharing testimony, sharing what God's done, and keep one another built up, we can all decide to live and not die. Amen? It's a good thing. So, death, you need to know, is a spirit or a spiritual force. And it's a biggie. It's a strong man. It has other demons under its command. One of them being destruction, sickness, or infirmity, or weakness, accidents, Collision and injury. Psalm 23 talks about the shadow of death. Um, the shadow of death. In, in movies sometimes and in art, you'll see death depicted as a uh, a reaper, a grim reaper, or a shadow of some kind of form, a shadowy form. And all of these depictions of death are accurate in that they tell you how death approaches us. And death always approaches in a very subtle way, in a shadowy way. You You, you fear cancer because it's been promoted to be feared. You know, people who don't have like a, a background in understanding how bad it is and all this kind of stuff, if it's not really been promoted, sometimes people can confront things in such a way that they look at them as, as being able to be mastered or conquered. There are many people who have had many forms of cancer and are still alive. They just look at it, so it just depends on how they look at it. I'm talking about people who just deal with it in the natural. They said, well, this is something I'll find out what kind of treatment i got to get. Never dawns on them it won't be treatable. I'll just find out what kind of treatment i got to take, and I'll take the treatment, and that will be the end of that. You know. So it depends on how you look at it, whether it's something that, that can be conquered or something that's going to overcome you. The Bible also speaks as death is our enemy. Where was I in 1 Corinthians? 15, I didn't read that one yet. 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 21, it says, since, For since by man death came. See, death came into the world through man. He said, By man came also the resurrection from the dead. So God works with us through one another. We minister one to another. We support and encourage one another. We, he, he gave us dominion here, so he expects us to take care of one another and to take care of the things of this earth. So if he, he says, for in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
So if one man's sin could bring the whole race down and cause death, then one man's obedience reversed that and brought us back into eternal life. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming, then will come the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Why? Because death carries out the penalty of disobedience to God's law. So death will be around for a while, folks. That's all that's saying. He the last cat to leave the stage is death. Because if there were no death, there would be no penalty for disobeying God's covenant. You got me? And so death then serves that purpose. But when you are redeemed from the curse of death, you are redeemed from the curse of the law, death then becomes uh, just a, I would say this, death is more like a doorway into eternal life instead of an enemy. Now, a door is something you choose to go through. Come on now. A door don't walk up on you. Huh? Y'all like Alice in Wonderland or something. Huh? Come on now. You choose the door. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Anybody invites me in, etc., etc. You got to open the door, huh? So death really be- becomes a door into eternal life for the believer. It's nothing more than that. It's not something to be scared of, or something to run away from, or you know, to have all these crazy ideas about it. You know, me myself, I just happen to think. Uh, You know, I'll get a a chariot. Huh? Elijah did it. Don't the Bible say he was a man of like passions just like you and me? He prayed earnestly for this and that. So I think maybe I'll just have me a little chariot come from me. Huh? People be sitting up there moaning and care. I said... Room for my chariot. Y'all sit up here acting all crazy. My chariot on the way down. <clears throat> so the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The last one. Hebrews said Hebrews two fifteen. Let me show you what fear of death does because you need to know you don't have to live like this. You know you don't fear death. You you're not scared of dying. Please don't be. I know there's a lot we all haven't done yet, et cetera, et cetera. He says, deliver them, Hebrews 2.15, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know what that is? These crazy uh, herb people. It's all that's wrong with them. They're scared of dying. So they're bound in their their new age. they got to take a pill for this, a supplement for that. And, and green uh, uh, grass in the juicer, and you drink that and say you feel better? 
you know, you'd almost rather be dead than to have to take the cure that they, huh? Well, see, they're subject to bondage. They're bound in that. They're scared not to take that stuff. See, they're scared not to believe in that kind of stuff. These vegans. Oh, you're killing those little animals and all this kind of, look, those animals are going to die one day anyway. Just like you are. You got me? Huh? And people just say crazy. They don't have good sense. <clears throat> so, the shadow of death comes to keep us in bondage, folks, to the fear of death. Comes to keep us in bondage to the fear of death. Like the woman with the issue of blood, 18 years, running from doctor to doctor to doctor, till she finally ran out of money. All those years, she was uh, afraid of death. You know what made her conquer her fear of death? She heard of Jesus. Huh? She said, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die, but I'm going to try this one last thing. You got me? You got me? And so understanding God takes the fear of death, the sting of the fear of death away where where, uh, courage comes, where you can confront these things. You can say, I'm going to trust God with my body. I'm going to trust God with this. I don't have to, you know, run to the doctors all the time, scared of this and scared of that. You know, sometimes people take the first thing the doctor sticks in their hands and I'm saying, why do you have all this medicine sitting around here? You know, after you take this pill and it sits in your stomach, you take that other one. This one ain't going nowhere. It's just going to stay there. And then this one don't get halfway absorbed. Come on now, folks. You do people more of a favor by forgetting their medicines. I forgot a lot of pills. Them old people ain't dead. Huh? They slept good. I know so well I did. You dope these people up, you give them uh, four pills for sleep and then one for nervousness and then all these uh, psychotic drugs they give these little elderly people. It's disgusting. Huh? So uh, come get my license. Well, I don't have it no more anyway, but come get it if you care what y'all do. People, it's crazy. You get them old people they Bible back and let them read Psalm 91 and let them go to bed. My goodness. Well, you can take that out to tape if you want to. I don't care what y'all do. So, the fear of death hinders our expectation of good. You need to know that. It hinders your expectation of good because death is looming over you all the time trying to talk over your hope. He will drown out the voice of hope to you. Death always visits people who are sick or have some type of trauma or have some type of unknown symptom, a symptom that they cannot put in a category or put a name on it. Putting a name on symptoms is just a slower, more subtle way of the spirit of death claiming you. See, instead of him claiming you outright, he gets to claim you down a slow road. You have uh, some name that's too long to pronounce. And so you have to look that up and get knowledgeable about it. And pretty soon you wind up understanding there's no cure for it. 
They can only give you symptomatic relief, so you live with it for five, six, or ten years, and then you finally die from it. You got me? And so when they're able to put a name on something, that's just a slow way of the spirit of death claiming you. Now, with Christians, the Bible says this. If you do what God tells you to do, you do right in his sight, you belong to God, you diligently hearken to his voice. That means you're not one of these people who say, well, God's been dealing with me about that. I'm talking about serious people. Them people ain't serious. God don't deal with me about nothing. If he wants me to do something, he tells me what to do, I get up and do it. If I say no, then he deals with that no. And it don't take long for him to straighten me out. You got me? I don't say no to God. This is not a game. But he says if you're the person, you diligently listen to his voice. You do what he tells you to do. You live right before him. He says, I will not put disease on you. He said, none of these diseases, not a one, that I put on the Egyptians are for you. Egyptians represent disobedience. People who worship other gods. People who don't have a covenant with God. If there's any sick among you, even you call for the elders of the church and they'll pray over you. Anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Pray of faith will save you and the Lord will raise you up. And if you just been bad on your bed doing no-no's. He'll forgive your sins. Huh? So there's forgiveness. There's absence of disease. I'm not talking about you can get sick and then he heals you. I mean, he will not put disease on you. Huh? It's not for us. Disease is for the disobedient. Disease is for people outside of covenant. Disease is not for believers, and he will not put it on you as a punishment for your sin like he did when you were a sinner. You got me? You don't get it. Now, this explains why Christians will have pains, aches, swelling, what we call symptoms, And they keep running to the doctor, and they can't find anything. You just validate the word he already told you is working in your life. He said, none of these diseases. Now, there is a place where believers can walk in disobedience and be unrepentant, and sickness will catch up with them. But if you can get a a bad sinner to get on their deathbed and repent, God will raise them up and heal them. It's happened so many times. It's, huh? It's amazing how this covenant works. But sickness is not for believers. That's why many times when you talk to believers and you will say things to them like, well, how are you feeling? I'm not feeling real good, but I'm not sick. I'm healed. Huh? They refuse it, and their words line up with God's word. Why? Because there's protection there when you agree with God's word. Because in your heart, you know for a fact that he said he won't put disease on you. You don't have disease. Amen? Amen? Because he's the Lord that heals you. You can prophesy to your body what you want it to feel like, look like, operate like. 
You can use your own covenant words with God because he says, I'll renew your youth. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears and I will heal you. Even if you do fall into sickness. huh? Just by using your faith in God's word, you can remove symptoms from your body. By your faith. Faith considers only God's word. It does not consider how you feel, how big it's getting, how swollen it is, what, 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 the what, a what, a what. It does not consider these things. If you find yourself considering them, you repent, say, God, I'm sorry, I let my mind get, I'm going back to the word, let me get in my word and meditate on who I really am. And you will find that your soul will get what the Bible refers to as converted. Know what a converted soul is? It's flipped over. Huh? You know what a convertible is? It looked like one thing one minute and it flipped over and it's a totally different thing now. That's what we are when your soul's converted. So you hear with your eyes and see with your ears and understand with your heart and you're converted and you're healed in that same very instant. It don't take a lot of time. It may take a day. It may take ten years. It depends on how you want to play it out. But your soul will be converted. And then your spirit begins to convince your soul to go along with the healing that your spirit knows is in you. That's all. Who is the major player today? Is it your spirit or is it your damaged soul? If your spirit's the major player... He'll convert your soul. He'll convince your soul to give up on thinking it's sick. That's all that happens. Your spirit man talks to the man of your flesh and say, you know what? You keep this up and we both going to die because this body is going to be in the grave if you keep up your shenanigans. So why don't you let me take over and you can die another day. We both get to live and declare the works of the Lord. Amen. And that's just how it happens in believers. So you can can refuse sickness on the grounds none of these diseases. God promised me zero disease. Huh? I'd rather fight it off on the none of the disease level than to go down the road of chasing symptoms, which God tells you don't have any. Tells you there's no disease. Hmm? Christians can follow them and follow them and follow them. You know, sometimes you can have illness working in your body. Now, people say that we all have a certain number of cancer cells in our bodies. Just depends on whether they're stirred up and stimulated to produce at the rapid rate that it takes to cause a tumor. Hmm? Huh? So we all have disease potential. Sometimes your symptoms are merely a warning from God to get in the word. And he will give you time to feed yourself the word and kill that thing before it gets to the symptom level. I mean to the disease level. But there have been Christians that have pursued it, pursued it, pursued it, and they found something wrong, and whatever it was took them down. 
because I'd rather follow a hangnail and a headache and they tell me it means nothing than to keep pursuing and pursuing it and they finally say, well, I think we do see something on here and we start treating you for it when you don't have to receive that. You don't have to have it because God's promised none of these diseases. Sometimes he's giving you warning through symptoms to get yourself in the word. That's all that is. Because the word is going to annihilate and kill any disease and bring you back into divine health. Sometimes you're just focusing on the wrong thing. Your mind is built up in in the natural. You're worried about this and worried about that and looking at this and looking at that. You keep nitpicking yourself. You're going to find something. You got me? And so what God wants us to do is focus totally on him and on his word and what he promises to us. And not on these temporary, temporal things. I'm telling you, as long as you're willing to pray for somebody, as long as you're willing to witness to somebody, as long as you're willing to give somebody a cup of cold water, as long as you're willing to do something that God tells you in the name of the Lord, he's going to keep you alive. He don't kill people who are working for him. Are you kidding me? Idleness will kill anybody. You see, if you got nothing better to do to sit up at, and look at TV and pick at lumps and wonder and worry, that's not what, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Get up and do something for God and cut out this idleness. So, you can die another day. Huh? Turn, to, turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. Talk about our good friend Hezekiah again. King Hezekiah was <clears throat> quite a man. He had a history of, of uh, having a, a heart yielded toward God and being very bold in uh, letting God have the, uh, the preeminence there. So many of the kings of Israel didn't do what they didn't follow the lord with a whole heart in fact the numbers of the ones that you know who were true to god you'd almost count them on one hand but he was one of those and he had gone in and torn down the altars of baal he had reinstituted the temple worship because the people of of israel were were worshiping other gods you know they're bound up in false gods and so he had done quite a bit to get the people of god back to worshiping god again and in Second Kings chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. That means that whatever he had was killing him every day. Huh? Every day he's getting a step closer to the door of death rather than recovering. See? There are certain times where you have, say you have a cold or flu or something, it may linger for a number of days or or maybe a week or something, you know. I went through a thing when I moved back to Ohio. My nose was stuffed up a whole year. And the Lord had spoken to me halfway through the year. He said, you won't have this problem next year. You know, I don't know why he said it like that, but next year I didn't have a problem. You got me? So it probably took me that long for my body to adjust or whatever it was that was working. The way he worked it, it took that long. But I knew I would recover. You got me? I wasn't going taking asthma treatments and getting a Z-Pack. All these people, I mean, 
you get to talking to people you do your purse check on christians and you find some language down there that ain't even in the Bible. You know, they know the corticosteroids and the Z-Pack and all this kind of stuff. I said, well, you know what? God's already told me. And it wasn't, I mean, it was bothersome. I didn't like it. You know, all the tapes I had from that, that year sounded nasal. But I preached anyway. And so, you know, you just have to do what you have to do. But I knew I would recover. Even though every week it was the same thing, I knew I would recover. Well, when you're sick unto death, you have no hope of recovery. You got me? I mean, it's not going to get better for you unless something really big happens. And so it says here, and the prophet Isaiah, this this is where it's either do or die. You don't know if they're coming with good news or bad, folks, back in the day. The prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Well, that kind of hems you in. That says you're going to die twice to me. Huh? You will die and not live. You got me? And so it says, then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now. Did I do anything right, God? Huh? Well, this is no time to question anybody trying to get him to feel sorry for you. This is a time to plead your, your case before God and pour your heart out. See, if there's anybody you can be honest with, it's God. Huh? You don't have to give him your fake faith confession. You don't try to have to give him a spiritual pep talk or hide from him the fact that you didn't read the word this morning. And here you are praying and asking for something. Mm-hmm. You got me? You know, it can get on the basis of earning real quick with us. Huh? But Hezekiah began to talk to the Lord and say, God, you know, I worked for you. I've I've done some things. I've labored for you. And he says, <clears throat> I've done with, with a perfect heart and done which is what is good in your sight. And he began to weep and weep and weep. Now, in Isaiah chapter 38, it gives a little more detail about Hezekiah's sickness. 38 verse 1, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray you how I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, and behold, I will add to your days 15 years. I will add to your days 15 years. And I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. 
And this shall be a sign unto you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing that he's spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of degrees which has gone down on the sundial ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees by which it was gone down. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. And this is what he said. He said, I said in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. This is what he said to God. I'm deprived. If I go to if I die now, God, I'm going to be deprived of the rest of my years that I was supposed to live. God, I was expecting to live long enough to see grandchildren and great grandchildren. If I die now, huh? Now, this is not some doctor telling him he's good. This is God telling him he's going to die. You got me? So, you know, we think we can go to God if somebody else calls time on us. But when God calls time on you, go to God anyway. Amen. It works. Huh? He says, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have cut off like a weaver from my life. He will cut me off with pruning and pining sickness by David tonight. This brother was sure enough begging for his life. You got me? It was no faith confession. It was no, oh, the you know, who's going to praise thee when I leave here? Oh, huh? You leave out of here on a freight train. You start talking like that to God. But he began to plead earnestly for his life. And at the end of that pleading and weeping and all of he's turned his face to the wall, which means it was just him and God dealing with this thing. So many times we're trying to deal with things through other people. You deal through doctors. You deal through ministers. You run from one meeting to the the next. You don't stay put so that God can help you with anything. And so you have to deal strictly with God for these things. And once you do that and you talk to him, he will tell you what his decree is for you. And it's always a decree of mercy, folks. Always a decree of mercy. So he tells Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, and you're going to die another day. I changed my mind. I thought I was going to kill you today, but you're going to die another day. huh? In fact, 15 years down the road from now, you will die another day. So you can make these choices. God expects us to make these choices. Death is never the final word, especially for a child of God. It's only a temporary door that takes you over into eternity. You don't have to be afraid of death. My goodness, you you know God. You're going to heaven when you die. Granted, we don't want to die soon. We always got stuff on the calendar, you know. Well, let me see. I'm booked up. Well, God, look, I'm booked up at least till the end of the year. I got meetings to do. I got got a job I got to go to. I'm looking forward to retirement. You know, I'm only like 45 now, God. You know, I got to Huh? Stay booked up. Let God know you booked up. Let him know you got things to do. Huh? Now my, 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 uh, uh, desire inside is to, to encourage you not to lie to God. Believers. Don't say, now God, if you heal me, 
I'm going to go, uh, and I'm going to give, I'm going to uh, do my giving like I'm supposed to give. I know I ain't been doing it right because, you know, my ad ain't what it used to be. But uh, I'm going to get somebody to help me with my ad and my checks, and I'm going to start giving, you know, like on a regular basis. <laughs> Listen, just beg the man for your life, okay? Don't be laying up there making no kind of promises. huh? You know, as soon as that check comes, you're going to be wanting to run out there and get you some glad rags. Oh, yeah, girl, you know, I've been on my deathbed. I lost weight, didn't I? You know, people can have fun off anything. There's somebody who really had been sick. I think it was a minister's wife or somebody. When she got well, she had lost maybe. She was a very heavy woman. She lost maybe over 100 pounds. And the first thing she said was she was going to try to keep the weight off. I'm thinking to myself, you've been in the shadow of death all that long, and God raised you up, and that's the first thing that runs in you? (laughs) This ain't no time to be a diva. You know what I'm saying? It's time to get serious and find out how you got in that bed and don't get up in there no more. crazy some strange people out here y'all you got to watch yourself around these kind of people praise the lord so you can die another day go to second kings chapter seven say nope uh death i'm not keeping that appointment with you now they said i was going i didn't have no choice here but i decided i'm not keeping that appointment with you you're gonna have to book that with somebody else best thing you can do is stay close to God, man, and you just step over. You don't have all of that nonsense. Yep. God will just catch you up one day and you will be not anymore. Praise God. In Second Kings chapter 7, this is uh, the end of a famine uh, in, in the, the land of, of uh, Samaria. This is part of the kingdom of Israel, or or loose part of it, really, Samaria was. They worshipped the God of Israel there off and on. Uh, Verse, I think I'll start in 1. Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Now, there was a severe famine on there. I think this was a three-year famine. And people just had lost hope that it would ever end. And it says, And a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, you shall see it with your eyes, but you won't eat of it. See, sometimes it just pays to keep your mouth shut. Uh, A man of God trying to prophesy and give these people encouragement so they can hold on another day. They can die another day. And here this idiot's running around helping the Grim Reaper. So if if he thinks that death is so becoming, he's going to taste of that instead of tasting of what their God's going to pour out to the people. Verse 3, and there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? 
Let's die another day, in other words. See, there have been people that have been given up to die of cancer. And they were given, a, well, two months. Oh, two months. You still here? Well, it can't be much longer now. And these people, somehow, they're not receiving in the inside of them. They're not receiving what they're being told. And then they decide to start getting up and getting dressed and getting shaved. Well, they just they just put off dying till another day. They'll walk off and and, and live for much more time. <clears throat> there was a man by the name of Art Buckwall. Now, if I tell you his name and you say you know him, you're dating yourself, so you can keep your hand down. But uh, he was what they call a humorist. He wrote humorous columns and stuff like this, a Jewish man. And he wrote this article about his his last year on earth. And he said that he was, when he was in the hospital, uh, they had him on dialysis. His kidneys had stopped working. They had told him he was terminal, et cetera, et cetera. And so they had cared for him, done as much as they could for him in the hospital. And he's a very wealthy man, a very well-known man. And he said that um, they told him, well, what do you want to do? And, and they had told him about this hospice where he could go. And, you know, he's, I guess, wife passed away some years ago. Children or adults didn't want to be a burden on his children. He said, well, I'll go to this hospice and I can live out the rest of my days there. He was a writer, so he had a little place where he could write and do this and do that. And he said, you know, after I was in the hospice for a while, I got my typewriter out and I started writing and he said, and one thing I did notice, he said, when people thought I was going to die, he said, the youngest, prettiest women started to come in and visit me. He said, I had chicks coming in all day long talking to me. He said, and I talked to them. He said, in about two months at the hospice, I had a miracle. My kidneys start working again. So his kidneys start working again. He got physically well, and he left the hospice and went back home again just because he started doing things that well people do instead of laying down and laying there until he died. You got me? So the lepers are on to something. Why are we lying here and let death come and take us over? Why can't we get up and see if we can outrun death again? And so he says, if we enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit still, we're going to die anyway. He said, now therefore come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we'll live, and if they kill us, we will but die. So we're going to die anyway. In other words, their thing was, let's choose how and when and where we're going to die. You can do that. You can choose how, when, and where you're going to die. Are you going to be peaceful about it, live 80, 80, 85, 90, 95 years and go home to be with the Lord? Or are you going to stay here and, and uh, let illness overtake you and let the death, death uh, spirit come and slowly grip you and grab you? I mean, it's up to you. So he says, if we sit here, he said, we're dead anyway, no matter what's going to happen. Verse 5, they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And this is where they thought they would die, but maybe die quicker. You know, we'll make a decision. If we go to the Syrians and, and they decide they don't like us, they'll kill us and we'll die immediately. 
but I'm tired of sitting waiting for it. Let's just do something. If we're going to die, let's die quickly and get it over with. And if we're going to live, we'll know that very soon. Sometimes people just want to know. I mean, that can move you toward life. You got me? Sometimes you just want to know. Let's just move toward life and get up and get moving. And so he says here, when they they came to the camp of the Syrians, but when they're come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was nobody there. I mean, the place was empty. The place that they thought was full of soldiers. Uh, The Assyrians were the most brutal people on the face of the earth. People just were scared of them. They they kill everybody, take all the money. They never you could never live peacefully. They didn't make a treaty with anybody. They just killed you. And so he says, for the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses. So the God God made the whole camp hallucinate. In other words, for lack of a better word, all of a sudden they hear all these horses and chariots and looking around and scared the lord made them hear that and they said one to another lo the king of israel has hired against us everybody that we know are our enemies so god can increase the enemy of your enemies huh people be so scared of you you know sometimes we we're so uh you know unbelieving you go into a job the boss doesn't like you or you think he doesn't like you truth is you don't like him you don't know how to be a christian and get over it and love everybody you have found something about him that reminds you of somebody that used to make you work hard i don't care i don't care huh Oh, he sound like my daddy. Daddy's still looking for you to take out the garbage. You fifty years old and daddy in a nursing home and he said, Why well, get that boy that boy get over here, I'm gonna make him take that garbage out. Huh? <laughs> so instead of us being on the receiving end of this type of blessing <laughs> you know, we're on the the bad end of it because then our imagination makes us multiply them give them more power than they really have see your boss is only there to oversee what you do is unto the lord and write your paycheck out for your obedience to god's word that's their only role the bible says if you're a law-abiding person if you do what's right Doing right is not a tyranny to you. It's not a problem for you to do the right thing if your heart's in the right place and you mean to do a good job. So why are you scared of your boss? Why is he a big problem for you? Huh? You know, people can start out liking their bosses and all of a sudden they ask them to do the wrong thing and they're the enemy. Got me? They ask you to do something that it sounds like somebody you don't like their tone and you don't like their attitude. And so God can increase the the stature of your enemy or he can diminish it. Your enemies become God's enemies when you do the right thing. 
But if you're not doing the right thing, your enemies are multiplied in your eyes, just like it was here with the Assyrians. It sounded like there were so many chariots and so many horses. They said, that just couldn't be Israel, just one nation of people. They done went and got all them other people that said if they ever caught us by ourselves, they was going to kill us. And so now our enemies are multiplied against us, and that made them think defeat, and they dropped everything, that they, and they fled for their lives. Don't you know that you, when your ways please God, he will cause your enemies to flee before you? They won't stand before you. They don't have a charge against you if your ways please the Lord. And he says, wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight, left tents, horses, donkeys, even the camp as it was. So they, God made a noise so loud it scared them to death and they dropped what they were doing and ran right in the middle of it. Left the flat screen TV. <laughs> cable still jacked into a satellite dish still out there on the top of the tent. and left everything. He says, and when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and had a party. They said, whom it's safe. There's nobody here. Let's eat and drink and, and have a good time. They celebrated their victory. <clears throat> And carried away silver and gold and clothing and went and hid it. And came again and entered into another tent and carried that away and went and hid it. Now it's interesting, a pack of thieves have more faith than a man who lived with the king and worked for the king 24 hours a day. Huh? Now you see this all the time. You'll see sinners come into a healing meeting. And get an instant healing, and the saints are still walking around crying. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Thank you, Jesus. It ain't no better. Thank you, Jesus. It ain't no better. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so sometimes just that act of faith and moving out and continuing to move out and refuse to be denied. You refuse to be denied. They made a decision. We're not going to sit here and wait for death to come to us. We're going to get up and confront death. When they went into the Syrians camp, they confronted the immediate death that would have been upon them. And they decided that they were going to do that. And when they got in, they found the Syrians were gone and had left all of their riches, valuables, and food. And in verse 9, they said one to another, this is not good for us to do this this way. He said, this is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. In other words, we should be telling somebody else about this. In other words, what God has blessed us with is more than enough for us few people. Let's not be greedy. Let's make sure we share it with everybody else. See, conviction of God will come on you. And he says, if we tarry till morning light, some mischief may come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied, asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house. The king's house arose in the night, and said, The king arose in the night, and said to his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we're hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field. Still somebody who doesn't believe. You got me? 
Sometimes good news comes, falls on deaf ears. Sometimes people can see their deliverance and not want to take it. Huh? <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> he says, they know that we be hungry, therefore they gone out to the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, let some take, I pray thee, five or a few horses that remain or left in the city, and behold, <clears throat> he says, and let us send and see. In other words, we're not going to just take that for an answer. We're going to go and check it out for themselves. They took, therefore, two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And when that news came, the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of flour was sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people rushed so fast they trod and ran over him the gate, and he died, as the man of God had said who spake when the king came down to him. So you see that when you make a decision to die another day, more than life comes to you. You'll have as much life as you desire to have. Now Hezekiah had 15 years because they were under the law of God. But God allowed him to have that 15 years because he refused to leave. He had things that he wanted to do. And he knew that the covenant of God provided under the law at least 70 years for a child of God, for somebody who was a servant of God. And so, but in the new covenant, we can live as long as we desire to live. Until you decide that you have been satisfied, Psalm 91 says that with long life he will satisfy you and show you his salvation over and over and over again. Well, that word long life is up to you to define what that means. What do you mean when you say long? Huh? Is long 30 years? Is it 40 years? Is it 50 years? Many times people can prolong it over and over and over again. Huh? I thought I was done now, but I think I can live some more. I think I can continue to go on and live a few more years. And so that's up to us to decide, folks, that we do not have to accept death as a final answer. Whenever you have a frank illness in your body, say they find things on your x-ray, and you don't feel that you can defend it with the word, you know, and, and fight it, refute it with the word, that none of these diseases... You know, sometimes you'll have to look at that cancer and call it not cancer to stand on the word. You'll have to tell the doctors, nope, that is not correct. I'm not taking the treatment. I don't believe I have that disease. We'll take another test. Another, I'll go to another specialist, get a second opinion, but get you out there and get you into the word. Don't get you out and sit somewhere and do nothing to take to feed yourself the word so that you can annihilate that sickness out of your body you've got to you've got to treat that yourself with the medicine of the word so many people will will hear and and they say i'm waiting on a manifestation of my you're not waiting on that your faith is your manifestation it's manifested already in the form of the substance of things hoped for so your faith substance on the inside of you is enough manifestation 
for you to hold on to until those symptoms disappear. What's going to make them disappear? You're going. You're going and acting healed. You're going and being healed. If a Jewish man sitting up in a hospice can get a miracle of his kidneys starting up working again, just by doing the things that healed people do, choosing life. He doesn't know enough about the word to say, I choose life and quote some scriptures, but he chose life in what he did because faith is an action. It's not so much words. We try too much to live off of words and not enough action. But if we will make up our minds that we are going to live, not die, we can die another day and another day and another day. When death comes, call you can die another day and another day and another day. You don't have to die when death calls on you. You can talk to God and you and God decide that you're going to die another day. With God, he decided because Hezekiah was his servant and he was a king, God knew the future and what he would do. And he knew what he wanted Hezekiah to do in his reign. That's why his years were numbered. But your years don't have to be numbered. They can be as many as number, as many as you desire them to number. And you can live in good health at the same time. You don't have to live with symptoms. You don't have to live with pills. You don't have to live with treatments. You don't have to live with any of that stuff. You can live symptom-free, health-free, divine health, which is the health of the Son of God. If you're in Christ, you're entitled to what Jesus has right now in heaven. I can tell you he's never been sick except when he was on the cross. They laid all the sickness on him. He took it to the grave and it was buried. Never to come back upon us again. Huh? What the devil has for us is a pack of lies. He's a master deceiver. Huh? He can talk to you and convince you. you know, all you have to do is just have a couple of days where you ain't feeling so spiffy. Huh? He's going to look at that. Look at that. Look, look, look at that. Look at that. That's, that oh, mm, look at that compared to that one. That's swelling. Huh? Oh, that's swollen. Huh? Look at that. That don't even move so good like it used to. What you gonna do? Go get your cane. Huh? Huh? It's the truth. And so you got to fight these things. You gotta know that there are people going down to infirmity every day. And you have to fight it with your covenant in God and with the fact that you can die another day. You don't have to die. Amen? Praise God. Father, we thank you for your truth, for your word. For understanding your word. Your word is a blessing to us, Father. I thank you that we've all decided to not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We've decided to be healthy and whole. Nothing missing, nothing broken. No infirmity. No lingering sicknesses. No things that won't leave us. We can annihilate them with your word. So we thank you, Lord, that we know death is our enemy, just as sickness is our enemy. It's never our friend. And we thank you for that enlightenment, Father. Enlighten the eyes of our understanding so that we can know what you have in store for us. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God's good. He's good. He's good. Amen. 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 
So we're going to put on some music, and, and I'll pray for you if anybody needs prayer for anything physical in their bodies. I'll pray for you. The anointing always destroys every yoke and heals every single one of us all the time. The anointing works continually, and it works on everybody. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> 